turn that one off. Our scripture and reading today is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 14. I'm reading from the King James Version. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We look forward to the message that Pastor Cliff brings us today. What is the most important thing in life? What is the most important thing in life? Breath. Any other ideas? Most important thing in life. God. What about God? <laughs> True, no life without God. Because of the way God relates to us, the most important thing in life is our picture of him. What do we understand about him? How do we view him? Today we step in a special way onto holy ground because this morning we're going to be studying about the humanity of our Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this important and sacred subject, I invite the Spirit to come in a special way to guide my thoughts and words and all of us that we may understand what the scripture says on this subject and not go farther than what it says but not neglect what it says. May we understand Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. The first, we're going to look at three items. The first is, was Jesus much different than we are or much the same as we are? Or we might ask it a different way. How close did Jesus come to us? He was God, but he became man, an actual human being. Now, he could do much more than we can do. Miracles, for instance. 
But what did we look at about that in a previous sermon? Turn to John chapter 14, verse 10. As we review this point. (coughs) Excuse me. John chapter 14 and the 10th verse. 14 verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. So the miracles we saw before were answers to the prayers of Jesus. Just like we can pray for miracles to happen today. Do miracles happen today? Have you ever seen in your own life or somebody close to you a miracle happen in answer to prayer? Anybody seen that? All right, look at all the hands that have gone up. So the miracles Jesus did were not the power of Jesus doing the miracle. It was the power of the Father in answer to the prayer of Jesus that there be miracles. So his miracles do not put him far different, far higher than us. He came down to where we are. He had to ask for someone else, the Father, to do the miracle. Just like you and I have to ask for God to do miracles. Because we can't do them. He had put that power aside. Oh, but he raised the dead. We don't see too many times where the dead are being raised around us. I have heard some Stories of Seventh-day Adventists and other places where, mi- where people have been raised from the dead. I could tell you one of them, but we don't have time this morning. But let's, uh, let me remind you about Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we don't have time to go back and review the story. But Elisha brought back a boy from the dead. And then in 1 Kings 17, Elijah brought a boy back from the dead. So bringing, even bringing somebody back from the dead doesn't make Jesus higher than other human beings. The, because the, these men were able to do it as well. Of course, it was really God doing it in answer to their prayers. Oh, but somebody said, what Jesus knew people's secrets. And you remember the woman at the well that Jesus spoke to. Let me read it to you from John 4, 16 to 18. Says Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You well have said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus knew her secrets, didn't he? How could he know her secrets if he was only like us? Turn to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. I just came across this recently in my reading through the Bible. And I thought this was very interesting. 1 Kings chapter 14, starting with the first verse. Chapter 14 of 1 Kings, starting with verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Now you have to know Jeroboam was the king of the northern ten tribes, the tribes of Israel. And so the son of the king was sick. So verse 2, And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself 
that they, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh, indeed to indeed Ahijah, the prophet, is there. Now don't get Ahijah mixed up with Abijah. Abijah was the son, Ahijah was the prophet. Go to Ahijah the prophet who is there, who told me that I would be the king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of the child. That's the one who was sick. Verse 4, And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. I guess he had cataracts. Verse, not, verse 5. Now the Lord, now notice this. The Lord had said to Ahijah, the prophet, Here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. And he goes on to tell about the bad news that uh, was because Jeroboam, her husband, was leading the whole nation into idolatry. So the thing we want to notice here, did the prophet know the secret of this woman who was coming? He knew the secret. How did he know the secret? God told him ahead of time, didn't he? So Jesus could know people's secrets as God told him ahead of time. Do you suppose Jesus had prayed early in the morning on the day that he went at noontime to the well and met the woman there? Do you suppose he was praying in the morning? And could the father, while he was praying, well, first of all, what was he praying about in the morning? Well, what God wanted him to do that day. He was praying for the people. He said, now, Lord, there's people all around me who need you. They don't know about your love and your goodness, and I need ways to convey that to the people. Who am I going to meet? What can I do to share your love and goodness with people who want to know? And then the Holy Spirit could say, well, you're going to go to the well. At noontime, there's going to be a woman. Make sure you're there. And this is the story about this woman and what you can say to her. Could the father tell him that just like he told the prophet? In fact, if, you, if we had time, we could go over to 2 Kings chapter 6 and it tells about prophet Elisha and the king of the enemy army. He was frustrated all the time because he was setting traps for the, for the army of Israel and the Israelites would go around the trap every time. And the king said, what's going on? I must have a traitor on my side who's feeding information over to the Israelites. And do you remember what his, his generals told the king? They said, there's a prophet in Israel named Elijah, and he knows even the conversation in your bedroom. He's, he knows all about it. Now, how did Elijah know? Well, the Holy Spirit showed it to him told him about it just like this other prophet so there are examples throughout the bible that god was able to give regular human beings like you and me and elijah and elisha and others and he could tell secrets 
and share. Now, how often does it happen with us? It doesn't happen very often. Why not? Because we don't pray for it. Now, do you really want to know other people's secrets? Well, I don't really want to know other people's secrets. I mean, they can keep their secrets to themselves. Unless they need some help and they want some help and they want to share their secret things and want help to know what to do with them according to what the Bible says, then I can show them things in the Bible that might be helpful. In fact, there was a lady who came to me in Concord Church several years ago. And I hadn't seen her in like two or three years. And she was showed up at church and she said, Oh, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I've got a big problem. And I said, Okay, we'll, we'll talk, but not now. I have to wait till after church. I'll meet you at my office after I've greeted some of the people. And so that's the way it was. I came to there, the office. There she was. I said, Okay, come on in. And she said, Oh, Pastor, this is all so upsetting. I've got, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to lose my job, and I can't afford to lose my job, and everything's going bad. Oh, boy, she was chewy. And I said, well, sit down and calm down. We've got to pray before we do anything else. We've got to ask for God's guidance. And so let's pray right now. And so we prayed and asked the Lord to guide. And then I said, now, uh, before you tell me anything of what's going on in your job, we have to lay down the principle of what we're going to do here. What we're going to do is we're going to, um, I'll, I'll listen to what your problem is, but then we've got to find a principle in the Bible that we can apply to the problem because that's what we do. We follow what the Bible says. So before you tell me anything, let me give you an example. I said, suppose, uh, suppose there's a lady in your workplace. Uh, we'll call her Barbara. So Barbara is going to your boss and telling stories, making up bad stories about you because whatever, she's jealous or something, and she's telling these bad stories to get you in trouble with the boss. Well, this lady who was sitting in my office, her mouth dropped open. She said, Pastor, that's exactly what's happening. And her name is Barbara. <laughs> now, did I know what, the, what was going on in the office? I didn't know. I, had, I hadn't seen her in years. Did I know the lady's name was Barbara? No way. But we prayed for God to guide, and he provided that. Now, he doesn't, doesn't do that all the time. But apparently she needed to know not only that there were principles in the Bible that can guide what, what's going on with her reaction to the workplace, but she needed to know that God knew her and knew her problems and understood what she was going through. She needed that, and so God provided it. well praise the lord that's right we, we because we pray each time before we go we we're asking for god to intervene and help us to say the right things now jesus asked for the right things didn't he he asked for that now let's see um so so doing wonderful things does not make Jesus higher than we are. We can get in on all that stuff. In fact, let me read to you from John 14, verse 12. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these. Than these he will do, because I go to my Father. 
So knowing people's secrets and thoughts and doing wonders does not put Jesus high above us. Different than us. So go back to the question. How close did Jesus come to us? Let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 is where we want to go next. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. We're going to look at verses 17 and 18 in chapter 2. 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Does it say in all things he had to be made different than his brethren? No. Does it say in some things he was made like his brethren? No. It says in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he may be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now who has a different version and has something instead of propitiation? Yes, what do you have? Mercy and faithful high priest. But what does he, he says he makes something for the sins of the people. Reconciliation. Okay, good. Atonement. Atonement and reconciliation. They're close words, aren't they? In other words, Jesus is the one who gets us back to God in spite of our sins. That's what he's all about. Getting us connected back to God in spite of our sins. And in order to get us connected back to God in spite of our sins, our downfalls and our separation, our tendency to be separate from God, in spite of all that, he wants to get us back together. And part of that is he had to be made like us. In how many things? In all things. And so, let's see, go, we need to go to verse 18. Let's see, where am I? Chapter 2, verse 18. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, verse 18. In, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Now, who in this room is tempted? All right, all of us. So, so it says that he's able to aid all of us. All of us, he's able to, if we believe that he was truly tempted. See that? That's important, isn't it? He can't aid all of us unless we believe that he was truly tempted. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, starting with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. There's no, no uh, confusion about that, is it? Jesus is the high priest. Let us hold fast our confession or our belief, our confidence. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus, that's a double negative, so let's put it in the positive. Jesus can do what? Sympathize with us in what? In all things with our what? Our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you ever feel weak? I sure feel weak. I feel very weak in spiritual things. When I see how wonderful Jesus was, I feel really weak compared to him. 
but he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Let's go on. But was in all points tempted as who? As we are. So he was made like us in that he could be tempted as we are tempted. See, it goes back to that, doesn't it? That's what we saw before. On all points tempted as we are, yet without what? Without sin. Without departing from God. He stayed with God even though he was tempted. And it goes on. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we're looking at the tempted part. What does it mean to be tempted? It means to be attracted, to use freedom for something that is apart from God's plan. To be attracted, to use our freedom for to choose something that's apart from God's plan. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. What was the temptation there? To eat from the, what kind of tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what did God tell them? What was God's plan about eating from that tree? Don't do it. He didn't want them to get involved with evil because evil hurts. Did God want them to hurt? Did he want us to hurt? He didn't. He wanted this to stay, a world that was a paradise. It was the Garden of Eden. And what does the word Eden mean? I told you about this a few months ago. Eden means pleasure. It was the Garden of Pleasure. How would you like it if the whole world was a world of pleasure? I mean godly, good, healthy pleasure. Like, like Hawaii. If the whole world was a beautiful pleasure place of really healthy, good things to enjoy, wouldn't it be wonderful? With no, nothing to interfere with that? That's what God wanted. But they were attracted to eating from that tree, the forbidden tree. Let's talk about Jesus in the wilderness. Where did It says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness in order for what to happen? To be tempted of of the devil, the Satan. So Satan met him in the wilderness. He was tempted. Now what does tempted mean? It means to be attracted to do that which is out of God's plan. To be separate from God's, God and his plan. How was Jesus tempted? Well, the first one is to eat what God had not told him to eat. The Holy Spirit led him there to fast. And the Holy Spirit had not come and said, okay, it's time to, for you to break your fast and have something different. And so he was tempted to eat out of God's plan. The second was he was brought up to the peak of the temple. And what did Satan tell him to do? Jump. Because the Bible says what will happen. The angels will catch you and save you from getting hurt. Now, think about it. Jesus standing up on the pinnacle and the temples below, and the courtyard. And what's in the courtyard? People. The people he came for, right? And if he jumped off the temple and went down and the angels caught him just before he hit the pavement, would the people see it? They would see it. And what would they think? Superman! He's come to save us, the Messiah. And they'd all bow down. 
and they would accept him. Wouldn't that be a quick and easy way to get, to, to get attention? But he would have to tempt God's promise about catching him and all that. It would be going outside what the plan was. Was there ever a prophecy in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and throw himself off the, over the temple and catch the attention of the people? Was there ever a, 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 a messianic prophecy that said when the Messiah came, he would be accepted and popular with all the people? That his life would be full of joy and acceptance and popularity? No, it says he would be rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's not jumping off the temple. And so you see, he was tempted to get attention the wrong way. Are we ever tempted to get attention the wrong way? Oh, boy. Now, what was the third temptation? Satan took him and he put him on a high mountain, it says there in Matthew. And he put before him, do you remember what he showed before him? All the kingdoms of the world. That's what Jesus came for, is to make all the kingdoms of the world the kingdoms of Christ, right? Isn't that what it says in the Bible? And so this, so, so uh, in a sense, Satan is saying, okay, well, you want what the Bible says. The Bible says the Messiah will have all the kingdoms of the world and they'll become his. All you have to do to get them, because I have them and I'm ready to give them to you, all you have to do is what? Bow down before me. And I'll just give them to you. You won't have to fight for them. You won't have to be suffering for them. You won't have to go through all the grief. Just bow down quick and they're yours. What an easy way to get all the kingdoms into his own kingdom. Oh. So, Jesus was tempted to take the easy way. Are you ever tempted to take the easy way instead of God's way? Are you ever tempted to do it your way instead of the instruction of the Scriptures? Oh, boy. See, Jesus was tempted in how many ways like us? In all ways like us. And when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and things were hard and they were hopeless, and he, but he prayed, he said, not, not my will, Father, but... I will be done. Now first he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. So what was the will of Jesus? I want to get out of this hard thing. This is too hard. My humanity can't stand to go through all this. You ever feel like you had more than enough? And you say, oh, just get me out of this. And that's what Jesus was saying. Not my will, but thy will done. That means that the will of Jesus, the d in fact, in another other versions it says, not my want, not what I want, but what you want. Boy, we want things, don't we? And not what I desire, another version says, not what I desire, but what you desire, Lord, Father. And so, Jesus had a different desire than to go through the plan of the Father. But he, had to, he surrendered. He chose to, to surrender. It was for us, of course. 
So this is the basis of every temptation, to be attracted to do that which is out of harmony with God and His plan. To separate from the Father. What about Lucifer in heaven? Did he want something that was not part of God's plan? Yeah, he wanted to be on the throne, didn't he? It was, the throne wasn't for him, but he wanted it. How about Eve? What did she want? She wanted the fruit and what the fruit could do for her. Satan said, it'll make you like God. God's hiding uh, powers from you that you could have. And she wanted it. And today we want and we want and we want. And often we want the things that God does not want for us. We want to be happy more than we want to be holy. That's a big one for you to think about and chew on. That leads to a lot of things. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it mentions three things. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Now think of the temptations of Jesus. The lust of the flesh. Which temptation was that? The first temptation. Because he wanted to do what? Stoned into bread. He wanted to eat. He was hungry after 40 days. So satisfying the needs of the body, that's the lust of the flesh. That's hunger, thirst, uh, a, a hunger for affection, uh, not, want, not wanting to be lonely, and so on and so on. The, 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 the bodily needs that we have. The second is the lust of the eyes. What did Satan put before the eyes of Jesus in the wilderness? All the kingdoms of the world. Look, you can have all this. It'll be so easy. And do we have the lust of the eyes? Advertising is all about the lust of the eyes. Putting things before us that we don't really need and, and saying you need it. And even we're, we're, we're drawn to break the principles of the Bible in order to get what we think we want what we think we need. So the lust of the eyes, wanting to go where, uh, where God's not saying to go. And then the last one is the pride of life. That's where Jesus was on the pinnacle and he could cast himself down and get all the attention. The pride of life. And pride's a real problem for us, isn't it? Watch me, see what I can do. That's different than look what God is doing in my life. See how different that is? All right, so those are the three basic things. Now, what has the Holy Spirit been telling you about some of the things you want? You know, he talks to all of us. Sometimes we're listening, but sometimes what? We're not listening. We've got our own agenda. We're being stubborn. We are doing it our way. But the Holy Spirit still comes and he looks for opportunities to talk to us about things that we're wanting, things that we're tempted with. And then the question is, how can we be freed from temptation's power? Well, the thing we're studying today, we have to know, <laughs> we have to know for certainty how close Jesus came 
to you and me. How well he understands the power and the subtlety of temptation. He knows it by experience. The power and the subtlety of the temptations that come to you and that come to me. It makes a difference what we believe about that. You see, he's faced it just like you. Yet without sin, he didn't separate from the Father and his plan. And we might ask, well, how could a real human being not surrender to sin? How could he always be faithful to the Father? Well, this is point number two. Jesus had a divine nature as well as a human nature. Now, did he? He did. He had a divine nature as well as a human nature. Can we have both? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter. We'll have to move more quickly now. I see our time is getting away from us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. These second two points are much shorter than the first, two point, the first point. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. Let's see, wait a minute. I think I've got the wrong place here. Chapter 1 verse 3. Is it 3 verse 1? Something's wrong here. 1 verse 3 and 4. Maybe it's 2 Peter. No, that's not it either. I made the wrong reference here somehow. Well, let me read it to you, uh, and you may be able to find it better than I can here. I've got it written down in my notes. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And this is the New, the new Living Translation. Is it Second Peter? Second Peter 1.3. Thank you. I'm going to change my notes here. I won't make that mistake again. 2 Peter 1, 3. All right, so by his divine nature, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? We want to know about Jesus better. The one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You see, that's wanting to do that which is outside of God's plan. How do we escape that, that temptation? Is by becoming a uh, sharing of his divine nature. How do we share his divine nature? By the precious and great promises. Now, think about Jesus. Here he was, he came to earth, he became a real human being. What, but, but he realized that his, his situation was unique because he was the one and only what? Savior. He's the one and only Savior. But he's really human. 
And because of his uh, connection with the Father, he had the love for humanity. And what were the promises that you would think would be exceedingly great for Jesus? Well, we'll show it to you. It's in Luke chapter 4. We've talked about it before, but I want to show this to you and it will prime the pump for some other things. Luke chapter 4. Now, uh, if you've studied other stories in the Bible, like the three men who are thrown into the fiery furnace, you may realize that they could be thrown into the fiery furnace because they were claiming promises from Isaiah, which was a hundred and some years before their experience. And Isaiah had said, I will be with you. I'm sorry, God said through Isaiah, I will be with you through the waters and through the fire and it will not touch you. So they had an exceedingly great promise to hold on to, didn't they? Let's see what promise Jesus had to hold on to. It's in chapter 4 of Luke, starting with verse 18. Well, let's start with verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, are there any promises in this verse? This quotation from Isaiah, are there any promises in there? It's full of promises, isn't it? Promises specifically for whom? For the Savior, the Messiah. Promises to do what? To do all kinds of wonderful things for needy people. To help sinners in bondage by Satan and all the things that they encounter. And Jesus could come and with the power of the Father, He could deliver people. Was that an exceedingly great and wonderful promise? And he treasured that so much so that when he was handed the Bible at the synagogue to speak on Sabbath morning, he turned to that promise. Do you suppose he prayed that promise early in the morning each day? He said, Lord, who are the poor that I need to preach today? Who are the blind that I'm going to recite to? Who are the ones in bondage that I'm going to release? Help me, Father. What else? Are there any other exceedingly great and precious promises that Jesus, realizing he was the Savior, that he would hold on to, that he would cling to? What about when he was 12 years old? What did he see as a promise? Where did he go when he was 12 years old? To the temple for what, el for what festival? The Passover, and what happens at the Passover? The sacrifice of the lamb for, the lamb would be dying for what? For the sins of all of Israel. And Jesus saw that was him. Now we would say, oh, scary thing, I'm going to die. Yes, scary thing, but his death would accomplish what? It would take away sin for all of humanity. And do you suppose he ever went to the synagogue on the Day of Atonement? Do you suppose he ever went on the Day of Atonement? 
All the men had to go on the Day of Atonement. And what happened on the Day of Atonement? There was a goat called the Lord's goat. And what did the, what did the priest put on the Lord's goat? The sin. All the sins of all the people for that day? For the whole year. And it was illustrating that through the death of the Messiah, all sin of all people of all time for the whole world, for all of history, would be cared for by his one death. Do you suppose Jesus held on to that promise? Do you think he was thinking about that in Gethsemane? Father, not my will to get out of this, but oh, if your plan of me, one person dying for all the sins of all the people for all time. If that can be happening all here, your will be done. That was a great promise. Now what about for us? Do we have any exceedingly great precious promises that we can hold on to and cling to and that can make a difference in our lives? How about John 3.16? Right? That's huge. It's powerful. What about John 1, verse 12? Who knows what that one is? John 1, verse 12. That all those who believe can become the sons of God. The sons and daughters of God. That means you and I are believers. What are we? We're the sons and daughters of God. We're the ones He counts as part of His family. Any other exceedingly great and precious promises? How about Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? He who has begun a good work in you will will continue it. We will not stop. He'll not hesitate until he's got it completely finished. Go ahead. What? Read it for us, please. All right. We can have the mind of Jesus in us. That's like Colossians 1, verse 27. The hope of glory is... Christ in you. Is that a promise to hold on to? How about 1 Peter chapter 2, 9? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Wow. That's us? Yes, that's us. Through the power of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive. Mercy and grace in your time of need. Wow, what a promise. Every time of need, we can run to the throne. And Jude chapter 1, verse 24, God can present us faultless before His throne. Wow, we could go on and on, couldn't we? We could spend all day and we could still find more promises. And by them we become what? Partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature in us. Jesus was both human and divine. We can be both human and divine. The divine nature. Now, how does that happen? Well, this is not point number three, and we just have to wrap it up quickly. We're going to conclude here. Jesus was filled with something. Well, filled with someone. Who was Jesus filled with? The Holy Spirit. Can we be? Aha. Uh-huh. Is the Holy Spirit divine? Yes. In Luke chapter 1, it says that Jesus will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
In Luke chapter 4, it says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then in Luke chapter 2, talking about the followers of Jesus, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many? All filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 11, Jesus said, the Father wants to give good gifts to you and especially wants to give you the good gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask to be a partaker of the divine nature and treasure the promises of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 13 through 15. It says, And we all come to such unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son. What was that? The knowledge of God's Son about His human nature as well as other things. That we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ. Wow. That's what God has in mind for us. The full and complete stature of Christ. And we will speak the truth in love, growing up in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. So, temptations come to us. But God has provided a way of escape from them. And part of that is the assurance of the humanity of Christ. The real humanity of Jesus is everything to us. Because it affects how we see him. How do you see him? Do you see Jesus as rather aloof from you because he is so much stronger and so much better than you are? Or do you see him coming close to you in compassion, putting his arms around you and telling you he understands he felt the same things that you have felt. He faced the same struggles that you're struggling with. And he knows it's not easy. So I encourage you, study Jesus. Meditate on him. Treasure him. Rejoice in him. And find victory in him. Let's turn to our closing hymn. It is number 499. What a friend we have in Jesus. Number 499 for our closing hymn. We'll stand as we sing it together.
this sermon. I do have a few copies of the sermon notes for those who want to study into that. See me outside there. Our benediction is taken from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Glory be to him who can keep you from falling and bring you safe to his glorious presence, innocent and happy. To God, the only God, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory, majesty, authority, and power which he had before time began, now and forever. Amen.